Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Good morning. This is Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. It's where the shapers of business join the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. My guest today is Tamor Atigechi, founder and CEO of Papier, an online stationery brand creating beautifully designed personalised stationery. Age 17, British-Iranian Tamor spent weekends selling art procured by his father at London's Portobello Road Market. That stall, he says, was the most valuable business experience I've had. It taught me the very basics of trade, principles that are the same whether you're running a pop-up stall or a FTSE 100 company. After studying the history of art at Cambridge and whilst in a corporate job, Tamer was unable to shake off his entrepreneurial ambition, which is lucky because he's here now with me. He spotted a gap in the personalised print market for higher quality affordable stationery with more mature, interesting designs. As he says, in the age of digital communication, I had a feeling people wanted to connect more meaningfully and thoughtfully with one another. I knew that the magical feeling of putting pen to paper or receiving a handwritten note hadn't gone, and if anything, was stronger than ever. Papier was launched in 2015. It now has over 1 million customers and has collaborated with well-known and up-and-coming artists, designers and brands from across the world. And all their products are made to order and therefore more sustainable. Hello, it's lovely to have you with me. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. I read somewhere you said, I wanted to become an entrepreneur and I was looking for a gap. And I didn't really mind what I did, but that's what I was looking for. Tell me how you were lighted on this gap called beautiful paper and beautiful writing materials and a, and a kind of throwback, if you like, to what people used to do, what I used to do, what many of us used to do. Yeah, you're, you're right. I actually, you know, I, for me, the way I describe it, it before even coming to the gap is the itch that begins. And I know I know from other entrepreneurs who've set up businesses that that itch develops where you, you want to build something and you want to watch something grow. And that was the, that was the route for me. And I think it probably started out from a young age, whether it's selling on a Portobello market. And the next piece for me was, if I'm going to build something, grow something, it's got to be something I'm, I, I enjoy. Because I think going into any kind of entrepreneurial endeavor, you know, has its, has its risks, it's definitely not always easy. So you might as well have a good time while you're doing it and, and sell or do something that you love. And for me, that was everything to do with design, craft and paper. Uh, and I've, I've always been somewhat unusually a stationary addict and right the way through I remember even at university despite being in a generation where Facebook was was actually just launching in the, at university I was still sending notes to people I was always amazed at how impactful those notes were more so than any other communication so I, I, I did realize that actually this this gap was there that there was no brand really championing a revolution in stationary and note cards and actually most of the brands that were around was somewhat dated, and and so there was a, there was an element of stationery being in the past. So I was I was keen to bring that back, and that was really the birth of Papier. When did you start collecting stationery, Tamor? Because I'm also into stationery, which sounds like a weird thing. I love the fact I can, and obviously with the Jazz FM studios are dispersed somewhat at the moment, mm. so I'm in one of the bedrooms in my home, and my stationery is pride of place. I have different notepads, I have different staples, I have different paper clips, I have rough paper, I have fire. I mean, seriously, yeah. for you, was it was it a similar thing? And if so, how old were you? Yeah, it, it was a similar thing. And, and actually, I mean, some of my earliest memories are probably 
going on school trips and, and going into gift shops and picking up bits of stationery and pencils and, and, and notepads. And actually, I, I fondly remember that back to, I mean, back to school is still a very big moment for stationery in, in this year as well. You know, we're making a big thing of it because it's not just kids. It's, it's all of us as well. With, in a post-pandemic world, we are all going back to school at some point. And I, I fondly remember going into shops, Smiths and Ryman's, and doing that round of buying, you know, fresh pencils and the smell of rubbers when you, when you first start to, to rub things out. And it's all of that tactility that I have so many memories of. And it's that tactility that I think people actually crave now more than ever, as, as less and less of our communication is, is tactile and mm. digital. Was there a challenge for you then when you, like many people I meet and I interview on for this program, when you went into the world of consultancy, you're a Bain consultant and there's a great alumnus from that consultancy firm and many others as well. Did you sort of feel like your creativity was going to be crushed if you weren't careful? And is that why you moved on so quickly? I say quickly, a few years, but was there always a sense of this is not going to be right? Yeah, I mean, I have, I mean, I have only fond memories of my time as a consultant at Bain. And I, and I joined that firm saying in my interview that I was going to leave and set a business up. And I'm going to do that as quickly as I can. And I remember actually in that interview that the person took that in a positive way and said, well, that's, that's brilliant. That's, that's what we want. And I, and I still do the same, actually. I, when I'm interviewing people to join Papier, I love it when they say, to be honest, I'm going to try and set my own thing up as quickly as I can. I usually put a caveat, say, as long as it's not in the first few months, that's, that's fine. But so it was always intended. But I do think there, there would have been a risk that you can get very comfortable and, and stay somewhere too long. And, and that itch was what what I think took over after a while. And, and you're right, the creativity element is there. That, that's the thing that you do need. And building something from scratch is a very creative process. And I think I would have struggled to do that in a corporate job. I've read about one of the big challenges for your business, which is in fast growth and has been for definitely the last couple of years. And even in 2015, as you said, you found that gap and you, you need to exploit it. Finding talent, finding the people that can do it, is possibly one of the hardest things. How have you managed to identify the kinds of people that you want to join that team? It, it still is the hardest challenge. And actually, I think it becomes more and more important and, and actually becomes, well, it's the one thing that stays as part of your job as a founder is not just hiring the people with the right skills, but actually more important, the people with the right values. And We've done a lot of different things over the years, and obviously part of it is through interviewing, etc. But one of the things I've started to do, actually, is to ask less about people's specific experiences and ask things about their values, and in particular, kindness. And that, that's something that we've introduced at Papier. Is what we realize is that to make a great company grow very fast, you need very good people, but you need them to be both good at what they do. You also need them to be very good at heart. And that's what keeps everyone sane in a very fast growth environment, because in a very fast growth environment, tensions do flare up. We are moving at breakneck speed and things break along the way. And actually what keeps the boat together or the ship together is having a crew of people that are good natured. And so I often ask and people often ask, you know, have you got experience doing certain skills? But I've started to ask about examples where people have demonstrated kindness and it's been fascinating and it's been a part of our journey now in, in, in hiring people and will continue to be the case as we try and make sure we do, as I say, hire good people. 
I think that's right. Okay, and and the kindness thing, the kindness part of all of this mm. is critical, and it has been highlighted a lot in these last 18 months or so since the pandemic began. And of course, people have been talking about kindness for a long time as being a critical part of the DNA of a business. But let's get serious mm. on the other side of it. You need people who are super yeah. capable in a small business, which is very ambitious. So how do you balance those technical skills and the broader capability of management with that kindness gene? What happens when there's someone really kind, but they're just not cutting it? Yeah, it's tough because, I mean, one of the key things that you look for when you're trying to bring someone in is, have they done it? And actually, when I say have they done it, we've scaled, we're doubling to tripling in size every year. So actually, the challenge every year becomes very different. And as I say to all people in the team, the job spec basically changes every year. So one of the things you do need to look for, and what I do ask is, you know, to what extent have they have they seen this playbook before? Have they gone through those similar challenges and experiences? And that's one of the ways to get under the skin of the technical detail, because experience does count for a lot, especially in, in some parts of the business, such as operations. You know, if someone has taken an operation from 1,000 parcels a day to 40,000 parcels a day, they're probably going to be able to do it again. That's one of the areas we, we try and get the technical skill of. Stay with me for much more from my business shaper, Tim Wattagetchi. He'll be back in a couple of minutes. Right now, though, we're going to hear a taster from the Mishcon Academy digital sessions. They can be found on all of the major podcast platforms. Mishcon Dere's Martha Averly and Matt Robinson talk about equality, diversity, and inclusion with regard to recruitment and how employers can recruit in a fair but diverse way. The Mishcon Academy digital sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. Even if a business is acting with noble aims in terms of trying to recruit in a diverse and inclusive way, it may still be acting unlawfully by acting outside the limits set out in the Equality Act 2010. Matt, do you have any practical steps employers can take to recruit in an inclusive but lawful way? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the first one, which I think is something that people have been doing for a while now, is to try and use blind recruitment strategies Studies show unconscious bias towards particular names and, you know, people going to certain universities or schools. Now, obviously, this is something that's easier to do at the beginning stages in terms of sifting CVs. But you can also look at early stage interviews in large recruitment processes where you send candidates written questions, for example. Then as the process develops into face-to-face calls and meetings, you know, obviously it's not possible to continue that. But the idea is that by that point, you'll have broadened out the diversity of the pool of candidates in the later stages of the process. Another example is unconscious bias training. Now, obviously, there has been some recent negative press around unconscious bias training. I know the government don't seem to appreciate it, but I think what it can help people realize is that we all have biases and there is concern and evidence that people often want to recruit in their own image and when your existing workforce isn't diverse in the first place then that lack of diversity is perpetuated so you know whilst it is difficult to apply in practice i think if you ensure that people involved in these recruitment processes or promotion decisions are aware of their biases it may increase the diversity of the candidates that are ultimately selected the mishcon academy digital sessions to access advice for businesses that is regularly updated please visit mishcon.com jazz shapers on jazz fm in partnership with mishcondorea it's business but it's personal
You can enjoy all our former Jazz Shapers and indeed hear this very program again with Tamor on the Jazz Shapers podcast. Or if you've got a smart speaker, you can ask it to play Jazz Shapers and there you'll find many of our recent shows. But back to today, it's Tamor Atagechi. He's the founder of Papier, an online stationery brand creating beautifully designed personalised stationery. We were talking before about operations and scale and we're also talking about your background in consultancy. What is the way that you ensure that creativity remains at the heart of this business because it's very easy to lose sight of that and we see many businesses across all sorts of industries where they had a great idea and then the operations took over and they lose their integrity and they lose their interest you collaborate with so many different people artists and craftspeople and all sorts even I think Desmond and Dempsey the 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 pajama makers we had the founders on on Jazz Shapers a while ago what keeps that bit fresh? Are you the, the chief creative officer? Are there is everyone that person? How does it work? No, I, I'm not the chief creative officer. And actually, my job is more to ensure that creativity can thrive in the environment that, that I build. And, and actually, while we do have designers and creatives in their very title, everyone at Papier is creative and needs to be creative. It's one of our values. It's one of the, the areas that we evaluate people on when it comes to reviews. We want people to demonstrate creativity. And that does beg the question, what does that mean? And how do you how do you ensure that? And for me at the moment, especially, one of the key elements for it as a business grows at a scale is to to make sure that you don't develop a fear of failure. Because early on in a business's life, the you know the saying you've got nothing to lose is very powerful. You you do have nothing to lose when you don't really have a business and you don't have much. And as a result of that, you end up doing a lot of very creative things and very experimental things. And as the business grows and you accumulate hundreds of thousands, and in our case now over a million customers, you, you get a bit worried about doing certain things because you know you might annoy a customer or you might actually do something that doesn't feel right, and you've got the weight of that on your shoulders. But I think it's really important that we, we we're not afraid to fail. And increasingly, that's what I try and encourage across all of our teams. And that's, I think, what keeps creativity alive. Do you think you have always embraced that same mantra, which is don't be scared of failing? And, and if so, where's that kind of quiet inner confidence come from? Is that from a childhood thing? No, no, I, 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 I have been afraid of failure, actually. So I'm, I'm on a bit of a journey on this, actually. I, I mean, I've gone through most of my life trying to do my very best and, and in the main part achieving you know good grades at school and getting into a university that I wanted passing my driving test first time I remember being absolutely terrified of failing that for no good reason you know you can always do it again and and I think that's actually been a learning for me and I think one of the beautiful things about setting up a business is that it, it starts to teach you and it starts to become bigger than you and becomes your coach and and I've I've only really started to learn that it's okay to fail and that vulnerability and being able to actually say to teams, you know, I don't know what the right answer is here, but we're going to give this a go. And if we get it wrong, we'll just try it again a different way is is new to me, actually. And um, you're being very honest, Taymor. I'm sure your team will be going, yes, that's <laughs> right. He is on a journey. He's relaxed a bit. It's very good. And he's being he's being more open these days. Taymor Atagechi is my business shaper. And young too, Tamor. 2015, when you set this business up, you were in your 20s. You must have been my mass, 26, now that I, I know you're definitely 32. The way you talk is very mature. And I don't mean that in a patronising way at all, but it, it feels like you said you're on a journey, you know what you're looking for. 
As a leader, have you, and you said a lovely phrase, which I, I will repeat later, I'm sure, which is that the business becomes your coach. Have you always enjoyed being quite reflective? Because it seems like you're a bit of a thinker as well as a doer. And if so, where's that reflection come from? Yeah, I think so. I, I um, It's interesting you, you say that, and people have said that in the past. And I think some of that reflection may come from the areas that I've always been interested in terms of my kind of study life. And one of the reasons I got into studying history of art was because you start with the object, which you know I was always attracted to. They're beautiful things. But then once you start to reflect, as you say, on it and understand it and see the layers within it, and you start getting into history, philosophy, theology, and, and, and all these different areas... And I have actually, I've always thought that's that's the one thing I miss is a small bit of academia. I, I do miss being able to just just read about history and theology and things like that. So, so I think there is an element of that. I'm I am interested in theory, what motivates people. That's certainly something that's relevant and important when you run a business. So I, I guess that's where it's all from. Hmm. What interests me about the theoretical approaches, and I don't know if this was intentional or not, but obviously. The whole notion of connection in this time, especially as people have been more atomized and more alienated and literally seeing less people, that sense of things that people can do to connect. And here we are connecting virtually in a way that we weren't, wouldn't have conceived was okay. We wouldn't have been comfortable, but we're pretty comfortable now. And probably most people who are doing this are, are comfortable. But the act of connection, the act of writing a note, the act of curating a card for someone to get the thought about actually choosing a lovely piece of art mm. to sit on your on your wall. All these things actually go to a much bigger human mm. need, which is to connect and to be connected to, to the wider world. Was that the thought at the beginning of this journey, or was the thought more about the beauty of the object? No, it was always it was always both. And actually over the course of the five years where we really have developed this brand, we've realized that the object in itself isn't enough. And actually what Papier as a brand needs to do is it does need to provoke and it does need to provoke those connections and that deeper meaning. And the object is, you know, it's a bit like we use an analogy sometimes of a magpie and we are all kind of like magpies and these these notebooks, and these bits of stationery catch our eye. So that's what it that does start from the aesthetic objective beauty of the products that, that we design and produce. But then beyond that, it needs to go further and it needs to develop that meaning and whether it's a notebook or, or an invitation or a note card, it's once that product is being used that it takes on that, that new meaning. And whether it's psychology or you know, we, we spent a lot of time thinking about, you know, shall we interrogate the psychology of these connections? We actually realize that that's not what it's about. And we've reduced it or we've, we've enlightened it into a word magic. And that's kind of what we say about our stationery in particular. There is some sort of magic that happens when you write a note or where you receive a note. And everyone knows what that feels like. But it's better you don't try and reduce it in some ways to a science because that kills the magic. So not too much. <laughs> we like a bit of magic, a bit of alchemy. Stay with me for my final chat with my guest today, the magician, Tamor Atagechi, and also the founder of Papier. And we'll be playing a track from John Lee Hooker as well. That's in just a moment. Please don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Just for a few more minutes, my business shape today is Tamor Atagechi. And we've been talking about 
theory and practice of, of management and all sorts of things. The rubber hits the road, Tamer, when you've got to build a profitable business and you've received a, a fair amount of funding along the way and it started small. I think your C capital was a quarter of a million pounds. What's it been like fundraising and, and how dependent have you been on that and how connected are you to those funders still? Yeah, we, we've raised capital kind of all, all the way through. And in terms of how those connections have remained, I'm still close to all my early investors. I mean, actually, my old boss at, at my old company is an investor and we still catch up. And I think it's really important that you choose your investors. People think of it as trying to find someone that's willing to invest. I think it should work the other way too, that these are people that you're giving the opportunity to be part of this thing that you're building and that, and it's a piece of you and i think especially when you're when you are setting up something as a as a founder you know the business has evolved considerably and it is in a position where profitability is is very much a part of how we operate and so now the choice to to raise capital is much more about where we take it next and how fast we push growth in different areas but i do think it's been a great thing to have i, I think investors do help bring you into a world where you are accountable that you 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 do have a boss actually i always kind of think that i'd struggle without having anybody to report to i think i'd probably be a bit too cozy and tend to it life would be a bit too easy i do want someone to say you know have you hit what you said you were gonna gonna do this year do you think also just as a, as a thought about the, the world of writing and the world of paper going forward that actually it will continue to grow in use because of the prevalence of digital communications because everyone just does it the other way and actually writing becomes the outlier whereas before it was the way that people communicated is that is that a good thing for your business yeah absolutely i think that's the irony in a way that it's because of the rise of digital that analog communication has seen this resurgence but clearly that doesn't mean all analog i mean there was a world where pre-email you would communicate everything on paper so what's actually happening now is it's the more considered pieces of communication, the more thoughtful modes of communication that are translating onto paper. And that actually means that actually people don't want a piece of printer paper to scratch a quick note out. They want something more elevated than that. So absolutely, the the rise of digital has definitely been a big part of why analog communication, we're seeing that actually with younger generations, you know, Gen Z, as, as it's called, they're the ones who are actually most aware of some of the health challenges that comes with an overload of digital and they're the ones embracing everything from using daily planners and wellness journals and ways to actually use a, use those forms of analog to to train the mind and be more mindful. It's been great talking to you and I hope um I will be more mindful and write more rather than typing. I think it's definitely it's good for the soul. Thank you so much for spending some time with me um, today, and I really appreciate it. Just before I let you disappear into the ether, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? I've I've picked a beautiful song by Sam Cooke, A Change Is Gonna Come. He wrote this in the 60s, actually, and he he wrote it after he was turned away from a white-only hotel and, and, and speaking up for activists. He wrote, it's a long time coming, but I know change is going to come. And I think it, it, it's, it's somewhat sad that that change hasn't fully come around. But as, a, as an entrepreneur and an eternal optimist, I think it's a beautiful song that fills me with optimism every time I hear it. The evocative song choice of my business shaper today, 
Taymor Atagechi. He talks about hiring people that were good at heart, kindness being absolutely critical to the values of his business. He talked about not developing a fear of failure, really important when you're building a business. And finally, he talked about a different perspective on things where the business becomes your coach. Really good stuff. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishkon.com forward slash jazz shapers.